Hi, Hi everyone. everyone. I'm John. And I'm Georgia. And we're here inside your ears to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. This, this is, is Comfort, Comfort Films. Films. Hey everybody. Welcome back to Comfort Films episode four, The Lost Boys. We're going to talk about the old time 80s classic tonight and we're pretty excited. I think we've got some exciting revelations that we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, first off, we really want to thank everyone again for all of the love they've been showing us. All of the messages, all of the likes, you know, everyone on Facebook, Instagram, we really appreciate it. People that just messaged us privately or came up and talked to us, thank you, thank you, thank you. We can't thank you enough. That makes us feel great about what we're doing and makes us want to keep doing some more. So uh, some more good news that I do have is that now we are officially on Apple Podcasts and we are on uh, Google as well. So you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And we'll have even more announcements and more cool stuff coming down the pipe. So uh, if you want to keep up with us, like I said, you can take a look on Facebook, Instagram, give us a like, check it out, and we'll let you know about all the new cool stuff that's coming your way. So, uh, as always, before we get down to business with talking about the film, we're going to do a heavy, spoilered synopsis, and Georgia is ready to give that synopsis to us. Yes, and if you haven't seen the movie, what is wrong with you? Everybody's <laughs> seen this movie. Oh, yeah. Just joking. Um, but if you haven't seen it, go see it, and then come back. Um, okay. Jason Patrick and Corey Haim play teenage brothers Michael and Sam Emerson, whose parents are recently divorced. They, along with their mom, Lucy, Diane Weist, are moving from Arizona to the beach town Santa Carla, California, a thinly veiled fictional version of Santa Cruz, to live with their grandfather, Bernard Hughes. As they drive into town, Michael turns around to look at the back of the welcome billboard, which notes in graffiti that Santa Carla is the murder capital of the world. Their first night, the family goes out to the boardwalk to explore their new hometown, ignoring the many missing persons flyers posted on every surface. While looking around on his own, Sam enters a comic book store and meets the Frog Brothers, Edgar and Alan, Corey Feldman, and Jameson Newlander. He impresses them with his encyclopedic knowledge of Superman comics, and they give him some vampire-themed comics to read, warning him that he needs to know what's in those books if he's going to survive in Santa Carla. In the meantime, Lucy finds a lost boy, but not one of the lost boys, crying outside the video store. She takes him into the store, noting the help-wanted sign in the window, looking for his mother. The mother shows up pretty much right away, but Lucy's act has drawn the attention of the store manager, Max, Edward Herman, who seems instantly impressed with her. When she notes, embarrassed, that she's looking for a job, he hires her on the spot. Michael spends the evening at an outdoor concert. A rock band led by a heavily oiled, mulleted, spandex and chains clad, shirtless weightlifting enthusiast playing a saxophone, Tim Capello, sings, I Still Believe. Michael is immediately smitten by a dark-haired young woman, Jamie Gertz, dancing in the audience. She notices him too and smiles encouragingly. He follows her and learns her name is Star, but once they start talking, David, Kiefer Sutherland, and his gang show up. 
David seems jealous and possessive, although the nature of his relationship with Star is not clear. David pressures Michael into following the group back to their lair on his motorbike, eventually almost leading him off a cliff into the ocean. Michael punches David in the face for endangering him, but David just laughs. Once back at the Beach Cave hangout, which is actually a luxury hotel that sunk underground after an earthquake, David continues to pressure Michael, offering him pot, then food and drink. Michael temporarily perceives the food to be maggots and worms, but he takes it as a hallucination brought on by drug use. When David offers Michael wine from an old dusty bottle, Star warns him not to drink it because it's blood. Michael waves off her concern due to his hallucinations of the food, and he drinks over and over from the bottle. Later, David and his gang take Michael to a railroad bridge, and they hang off. David and the boys drop off and down into the fog below, goading Michael to do the same. He tries to climb back up, but eventually loses his grip and falls. The next morning, Michael wakes up in bed with no idea how he got there. He seems hungover, sensitive to light, and nauseous, but as time goes on, he shows other symptoms, like a thirst for blood. He even tries to attack Sam at one point, but Sam's dog, Nanook, bites him. With his new knowledge from the Frog Brothers comics, Sam recognizes that Michael is turning into a vampire. Sam theorizes that Michael's transition is not completed yet, and that he could still be saved if they defeat the head vampire, so Sam goes to the Frog Brothers for help. In the meantime, Michael goes to Star for help, but they end up sleeping together instead. David then takes Michael out with the gang to try to provoke him into killing someone during a feeding frenzy, which would cement his transformation. Michael is disgusted and returns home, where Sam and the Frog Brothers have been testing Max, Lucy's boss, to see if he could be the head vampire. Max passes all the tests, and the boys decide that David must be the head vampire. Star shows up to confess to Michael that she is also only half-vampire and that he was intended to be her first kill, turning her all the way. The next day, Sam and the Frog Brothers accompany Michael to the cave lair. They stake Marco, one of David's gang, but David and the other two vampires escape. Sam, Michael, Edgar, and Alan rescue Star and her companion, Laddie, a half-transformed vampire child. They realize their act has only infuriated David and the remaining vampire gang, so they return home and prepare for an inevitable nighttime showdown. David and the other two vampires, Paul and Dwayne, do indeed show up and attack Michael, Star, Laddie, Sam, and the Frog Brothers. Star and Laddie hide upstairs. The Frog Brothers kill Paul with an assist from Nanook in a bathtub full of garlic and holy water. Sam kills Dwayne by shooting him into a stereo with an arrow. David attacks Michael, and they struggle with each other before Michael is able to use his last bit of strength to impale David on antlers in Grandpa's taxidermy room. Unfortunately, Star, Michael, and Laddie do not revert to human form as expected. Laddie almost gives in to the thirst during the killing frenzy. Michael doesn't appear prone to attack anyone, but still appears in vampire form. Star doesn't exhibit any change. One presumes girls are just better at self-control. But regardless, the group realizes that David was not the head vampire after all. At that moment, Lucy and Max return home from their date. They enter the house and see all the destruction, and Max notes David's dead body. 
angered, he reveals himself, to be the head vampire, noting that inviting him into their home rendered them powerless to expose him the night he came to dinner. He explains that his motive all along was to have David turn Michael and Sam so that Lucy would agree to turn and become mother to Max's lost boys. They attempt to attack Max, but he's far too strong for them. Just as he is about to bite Lucy, Grandpa crashes his car, earlier filled with huge pointed wooden fence posts, through the wall of the house. A post shoots off the car and into Max, pinning him to the wall and killing him. Michael, Starr, and Laddie return to normal. The whole group stares at Grandpa, who goes to the refrigerator, grabs a soda, and somewhat casually remarks that the only thing he's never liked about Santa Carla is all the vampires. So, John, uh, you chose this comfort film. I did. What made you pick this one? Well, I mean, this is one I remember, again, very fondly, because I, I mentioned this before. There was a glitch with our pay-per-view in the town that I grew up in, and movies would play for a month at a time, and every two hours they would repeat. And I was, you know, a kid that would get home around 2 or 2.30 from school, and my parents got home around 5 p.m. So I would try watching cartoons or maybe movies of the week. I, I just, I don't know, I never liked edited movies, and the cartoons that I really liked were on, it seemed, at like, the toughest time, like... I used to love Transformers, and they were on, like, you know, we went to church, and there was this whole, like, fiasco with, like, trying to program the VCR. Uh, always. Always the programming right? the VCR. It was like a joke in, on TV shows that it, nobody could figure out how to do it. At my place, every time we thought we had cracked the code, you know, <laughs> and we recorded nothing most of the time, <laughs> and I, I, I don't know. Maybe we got it once, but it, it just... Yeah, so the cartoons I liked were, were usually on at a time that was, that was more difficult to see, like on the weekends when I had some sort of activities. So this I would just see over and over again, and I'm a young kid, you know, and I'm watching an R-rated movie, and I'm like, ooh, I'm super cool, I'm watching an R-rated movie, you know? And you also have all these vampires that were that, that seemed so much cooler. Um, I was used to really old stodgy vampires and i was just like whoa we've got some cooler cats here on the scene and i absolutely love the fact that there was that you know you had kids that were saving the day right you had kids that were saving you know the parents the grandparents the children and so it made you feel like made me feel like whoa i could be the hero here i could be you know one of the good guys. So that for me was just like off the charts. You know, that was that was the, the wish fulfillment that, that I always wanted. You know, I was like, this is absolutely perfect. And so, yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's why I chose it, because I just have nothing but fantastic memories of wanting to be the hero. And I'm seeing a kid hero and yeah because yeah. you would you would have been so this came out in 87 mm -hmm. you would have probably been summer of 87 you'd probably been watching it like six to, to six 12 months later like yeah. 88 ish that sounds right so you would have been around 10 10 years old like uh 10 11 depending yeah. on 
Uh, well, no, no, 10, right? Yeah, 10. Probably 10. Yeah. yeah. So it was like, yeah. So, yeah. So maybe just a couple years younger than like Corey Haim's character. Mm-hmm. Who's kind of like, you know, he and the Frog Brothers. Yes. Kind of are taking care of it. They're the ones who are like the vampire hunter experts. Yeah. So like you would have been relating to them and feeling like, you know, you could be the hero even though you're the kid. It Well, and also it's like, you know, I lived in massachusetts and i hadn't been to california so california seemed like this magical place to me and i was like whoa oh to everyone i think like i mean i was in mississippi i don't even know if i'd seen the ocean Mm. at that point so you know yeah that's very cool it's yeah it was like really everything it was like everything for me you know at that point um but when did you first see the lost boys um, for me, it was definitely going to be a bit later than that. Uh, I didn't really have TV so much around the time this came out. Um, but probably a few years later when I was like 14, I'm guessing is when I first saw this. Um, my stepdad was crazy into movies. Um, but I lived in the middle of nowhere. It was like an hour to an hour and a half drive to get to an actual theater. Wow. But he had a satellite dish, which I think was probably not legal. Uh, (laughs) It looked like, you know, what's on top of a TV station. It's not like a little, you know, dish network, like, you know, whatever that is, two foot across. This thing was like, you know, 12 feet across or something. Like the movie Stay Tuned. Yeah, in the backyard. It was enormous. Okay, okay. And... Yeah, and it would like be like, like twisting when you would change the channel. It would make that sound too. Yeah, it oh, was very wow. loud because it was enormous. But with this thing, he got like every movie channel, descrambled, whatever. People mm-hmm. have no idea what that word means right now. It sounds very high tech. I mean, I don't really even know what it means, but basically, this was something where. Um, the TV channels would come in over the air, yeah. and if you didn't pay for them, they would be scrambled. Um, but so for however he did this, he had these descrambled movie channels, and he would tape like every movie onto a, a VHS tape. Yeah. And unlike everyone else in the world, um, Joel really knew how to program the VCR. Mm. So in the morning before he left, he would program the VCR to record movies. So he just had a wall of videotapes, and I'm talking a probably 16-foot floor-to-ceiling giant cabinet filled with tapes. Yeah. That's like a movie studio. You know what I mean? It was nuts. I love this. So, really, that's when my major movie-watching career began. Hmm. Um, And I'm guessing that I probably saw this around the time I was 14 or 15. I was actually a pretty huge fan of horror. Mm -hmm. Um. I had started reading Stephen King books when I was, like, 11, um, and I was very into scary movies, scary books. Yeah. Um, I didn't really get scared by a lot of them, um, but I just enjoyed the, I enjoyed the genre, so um, it wasn't really far-fetched for me to be like, oh, Lost Boys vampire movie, I'm in. Right. Um, But, yeah, I'm guessing it was around my peak Guns N' Roses fan years of 14 and 15 Yes, when I saw this this movie. So that would have been early 90s. Some great photos of that time as well. Oh yeah. Bleach blonde hair. Lots of plaid shirts. 
had a boot with a weird spiked strap, but I only had one. People, if anybody from my high school is listening to this, they're just laughing right now because they remember my crazy, weird, outcast-looking self <laughs> in a tiny school, private school in Mississippi with like 20 people in my grade. So I stuck out a bit there. Uh, and so I'm sure that's probably partially why I could relate to this movie a little bit at the time as yeah. well, um, because I was a little bit of a weirdo for my community. I mean, well, would you consider this a comfort film? Yeah, I know you do. Um, I do. And and I think that, you know, it's a weird choice because it's a vampire movie. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how, why would you find a vampire movie comforting? But at the same time, like, the themes that this movie deals with are very familiar to us in a really nostalgic kind of a way. Yeah. I don't know that other people from a different generation would would really see this as a comfort film. They might just see it as something campy or something fun. But for us, I think the reason this is comforting is because this is a very Gen X kind of a movie. You have like um, these kids who have divorced parents and the mother that they're living with has to go out and work. Um, they're alone a lot of the time. They're like latchkey kids. They kind of have to figure out their own way mm -hmm. and you and I both have divorced parents and uh kind of had some alone time and things when we were younger oh yeah um because both our parents had to work so you know I ended up taking care of my sisters a lot so I could relate to like the Michael character having to kind of take care of Sam mm -hmm. um and you could relate I think to Sam being like this extroverted like enthusiastic kid who likes you know, uh, comics and things like this, but he's kind of alone a lot of the time and has yeah. to go make friends and find his own entertainment. Absolutely. So in that respect, I think there's just such a relating kind of a thing that we might have and a nostalgia quotient, obviously as well, just because of the year that, you know, the years that this came out would have been some really fun kind of developmental years, um, maybe difficult years of our lives too, but also just, you know, years that made us who we became later. And I think for that reason, and maybe I'm going too far, but <laughs> for that reason, I would say for a limited group of people, I think this makes sense as a comfort film, even if it's not necessarily your traditional pick. It's, yeah, I, I mean, that's, I mean, you really hitting the nail on the head with just, again, exactly what I feel with this. It just, it brings you back to a time you know, it's kind of like the outsiders, you know, you were taking care of things on your own. Yeah. You know, we didn't have cell phones, getting in touch with your parents wasn't as easy. You had to make decisions on your own. You had to go out, do things. You know, it was like, I don't know, we were like live without a net. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I mean, and I think like, you know, the people, the kids who were born a little bit after us, even like slightly younger than us who are like kind of older millennial type kids mm -hmm. started to have a bit of a different experience, but we're like that cusp between Gen X and millennial um, being born in like the late seventies. And so I think that for us, it was kind of like we're straddling the line between this earlier generation that didn't have a lot of technology who kind of had to figure out things on our own and very DIY kind of a style, which, mm -hmm. 
obviously that's persisted oh, yeah. into us, you know, recording podcasts in our closet at home, <laughs> like cobbling together our knowledge that we can learn from the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just kind of who we are, and this movie kind of is part of that. So who's your favorite character from the movie? Do you have a favorite character? My favorite character from the movie at this point would be Grandpa. Yeah. Uh, you know, because like when I was younger, I I have memories of watching this with my dad, one of the million times I watched it, and he really enjoyed just how crotchety the <laughs> grandfather was all the time. Yeah, you told me your dad loved like a sassy, older dude kind yes. of character. He I think he got it because he always loved to he always loved to pick on his dad. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And that was that was just kind of a, a thing. I'll super date myself for a second, but um, my my dad's father, my grandfather, he you, you know back in the ancient days of answering machines, um, everyone wanted to have this wonderful answering machine message, <laughs> and he wanted his to be just so. So he had like big band music in the background, just really low. And then he had this like super long message that essentially was like, hello, you've reached the Macy's. We can't come to the phone right now. So I'm sorry that you have to talk to one of those infernal machines. (laughs) But if you leave your message after the beep, we'll get back to you just as soon as we can. Thank you. And then we did a little more big band music, and then we did the beep. And it was just like, oh, my goodness. That's great. Yeah. So I, I think that, I think that like, that that's where, that's where he got it. I mean, yeah, everything with the grandpa is what makes me laugh now, just because he is such a pain. You know oh, what I mean? Is. Well, I mean, I think, like, the first time we meet him... He's, like, lying across the porch, like, pretending to be dead. Yes, he is. For what reason? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> it's just, I don't know. He's like, I gotcha. You know, I, I yeah, you don't know. I, he also, I very much uh, enjoy the fact that he gets a TV guide, and it, it's because he doesn't have a TV, so all he needs to do is read the TV guide, and he's up to date, and then he's very particular, I, again, like, really really dating myself but when tv guides used to to come in the mail they would have a mail sticker on them you know the address label and you know the corner would peel up you know and then like you'd want to take the sticker off i always did you know it was just like i wanted to take it off but you didn't want to tear the cover and there's a bit again with the tv guide with the grandfather and he goes you know when the tv guide comes he goes the corner will be turned up just a little bit and you'll have this desire just to tear off the address label, but don't do it. Yeah, because this TV guide is so important to him. And that's hilarious to me because, like, probably people nowadays don't ever think about the TV guide. No. But that was, like, a huge deal. Like, John and I both talked about this. Yeah. Um, that we both used to be all about, like, looking in the TV guide. Um, I didn't have movie channels, I don't think, but I still would read the movie section mm-hmm. to see what movies were in there and be like, oh, I would like to watch this one day. Yes. Um, and this is like behavior I still exhibit when I'm like putting together lists of books I want to read that I'm probably never going to read because I never have time. But I'm always just making lists. So I'd be making lists of which movies I wanted to watch, which shows I wanted to watch, highlighting it. 
you know, all this kind of stuff. And you said you kind of did the same thing. Well, I yeah, I would even go further because when they would do like the free, you know, channel weekend of HBO or something, I like took over the television and VCR. I had like a taping schedule. You know what I mean? I was like, I, w- I went I to my parents. It. I'm like, I want to let you know I'm going to be taping these programs. <laughs> this is very important. We have this, you know, this free window and I, I want to take full advantage of it. I love that. That's very you. That's oh, so yeah. you. John's like Mr. Project over here. He's always ready to like do some big involved project. So I can just imagine you like having this whole production schedule of your recordings make sure you had your movies well it's well it it was well here's the last thing on that my dad sometimes he would be up at night and he would go to tape something for me that was on regular television okay and again i know we're talking about like ancient technology so like on the vcr you know you would press record you know to record it and then there would be commercial breaks so what people wanted to do to be really slick is they would pause the recording on the commercial break and then hit record again when the show came back on. And my dad, a lot of the times, would forget to actually turn the record back on after he paused it for the commercial. So sometimes I would get things that, like, I would just miss, like, all these plot points. I wouldn't have any idea how we got from A to B. Well, that's funny. So someday we're going to be doing one of these podcasts and you're going to be like, I never remembered this scene. And it's probably going to be because your dad forgot to unpause it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. So you said grandpa is your favorite character now. Mm -hmm. Did you have a favorite, a different favorite character when you're growing up? Oh man. I mean, I thought Kiefer Sutherland was cool. I always really liked movies where you had like a good villain. You know, if you have a strong villain, an interesting villain, the movie is good. Mm-hmm. And he just like, oh my God, he just seems, well, to the time, I remember just being like, this guy is so evil yeah. and he's just so calm about it. Yeah. You know, he gets like punched in the face. It's fine. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know about you. If somebody punched me in the face, I, I wouldn't be fine. No, who would be? But I mean, it, what you pointed out this week when we watched it again was that he really reminded you of another guy yes. that you really like who's got that same kind of demeanor, Yep. which is Mickey Rourke. Absolutely. Especially in the punching scene mm-hmm. where he just like takes a fist to the face and Michael is mad when he punches him. So it's not yeah. just like a tap Mm-mm. and he like hauls off and like gives him one and then he just turns around and he's just like laughing and he doesn't care at all. No. He's yeah. like, let's just go for a ride or go on to our next thing. Yeah. It's, it, yeah, it was very Mickey Rourkean. They they showed you him, like, you know, hanging on the, the handlebars of his bike. And, yeah, it really reminded me of, like, Mickey Rourke and Rumblefish. Yeah, because they played Motorcycle Boy. Yes. And Kiefer's always in a motorcycle in this. Big part of it. Yeah. He so, even looked like him, I think. A bit. Yeah, he did, like, kind of a... A, a, a deal like him i don't know that's so funny like that's one of the things george and i've talked about a bunch is sometimes you'll see actors that you've seen in a million things and they'll they'll say a line a certain way or they'll look a certain way and for a moment they look like you know another face from the ancient gallery <laughs> yeah. throwing a little doors yeah you know <laughs> well we're gonna have plenty more doors coming up 
So who's your favorite character? Um, my favorite character is Nanook. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nanook is a an Alaskan Malamute who belongs to Sam. Um, sh- he it's a he. I keep wanting to say it's a she because Nanook is modeled on Nana from the Peter Pan story. Um, but Nanook is a boy, um, and he's this big, floofy kind of Alaskan Malamute dog who is actually pretty heroic. Um, I don't really need a dog to be heroic to love it. I'm a major dog freak. Same here. Literally never see a dog I don't like, and I don't care what breed it is. Mm -hmm. It could be a mutt. It could be some busted-up old-looking dog. I don't care. All dogs are perfect dogs, and and so Nanook is my favorite. Um, I do like Thorn, too. That's the hellhound kind of dog. Yeah. That belongs to Max. Uh, Thorn is a white German Shepherd uh, who gets really mad at one point. But I love Thorn too. Um, but if I have to pick humans, I would go probably with the Frog Brothers. Um, in particular, the Corey Feldman one, which is uh, Edgar. Because he looks like he's trying to cosplay Rambo. <laughs> and he's talking in this low voice like the yeah. whole time. Which is hilarious. He's funny. He's um, so funny. Yeah, he's really funny. I I have to say, like, I actually enjoyed Corey Feldman in a lot of movies um, when he was a little kid. Mm-hmm. I think he was pretty brilliant in Stand By Me, oh, yeah. uh, for example. And so, yeah, I just think, you know, he had that kind of funny, sarcastic, kind of older than his age kind of thing goonies he had yeah. that in goonies too yeah, yeah exactly i mean he was he's the funny one i always like the if there's like a group of friends in any entertainment thing like in a movie in a book whatever the funny one is generally the one i gravitate to the most um in real life i gravitate to the funny one uh which is you i gravitate so. to the best one which is you Ooh, <laughs> oh, thank I, you they were gross yeah um, but yeah, so the Frog Brothers, they were really funny. I love that they're like well-read, like they've studied up on vampire lore. They have all the data about how to, how to go after them. And if we're talking about like latchkey kids, like the Frog Brothers are like the ultimate ones. Yeah. And I don't think I'd ever actually noticed this before. Um, but this time I noticed that when we're in the comic book store meeting them and hanging out with them. Behind them are, like, these two old, like, hippie-looking people who have, like, nodded out. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm assuming that this is, like, their parents. I think so. So, they're basically, like, running the store while their, like, burnout hippie parents are, like, pieced out in the corner. Um, so, I thought that was pretty interesting. Kind of, like, in a dark way, but that's cool. You know? it, it's, well, again, it's kind of a theme... For the time like in yeah. repo man you have those parents and also what i like about the frog brothers is it's kind of like a double van helsing it's like yes. van helsing's in training that's awesome i never thought about that but that's a great way to describe them that's where they're at they would be psyched about it too right that would be like a good like boost for their business yeah <laughs> meet the new van helsing i mean we haven't seen the sequels to this but maybe they i yeah no i haven't seen them either into that we'll I see know. i mean you know, the other thing I wanted to see, I mean, talking about Nanook, is, like, I thought there was going to be, like, a Thorn Nanook, like, showdown. Yeah, I mean, I think probably if there weren't, like, 
you know, rules about <laughs> how animals are handled. And I didn't even think about that. That's, I'm just such a little kid. I'm like... <laughs> I know, like, as far as story is concerned, it would have been awesome to have, yeah. like, a dog-on-dog, like, showdown. Because those are the toughest characters yeah, in the whole to- thing. Yeah, they're totally B.A. Yeah, like, that would have been it. Like, Nanook takes out, like, so much trouble in the yeah. story. Well, Nanook, like, takes down Michael, and Nanook's, like, going after Max, I think. Or maybe just after, like, David, I can't remember. But Nanook is, like, tough. And Thorn is, like, brave and, like, angry. Yeah. Yeah, the two of them would have been, like, ultimate showdown, but probably, like, the ASPCA or... They said no. Humane Society might have cut that out. <laughs> that would have been called No-No Nanook. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, yeah, again, it's the great. best, because, yeah, I, I don't know. Again, I it's just, like, we watched, we watched Nanook, like, save... Sam. Yeah, and then Oak, like totally takes out takes out Michael and he's like going to attack his brother for the first time. And if it wasn't for Nanook, who knows what would have happened. So. Nanook has like a sixth sense. He knows yeah. what's up. Well he saved the day. Yeah, he did. Um he all did. right. So what was your favorite scene? Well, my favorite scene would have to be the end battle at the house. You know, we really build up to that and when the vampires come you know, it is it is the fight that you've been waiting for the whole time. You know, we've got squirt guns filled with holy water. Amazing. <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I mean? You've got this bathtub full of holy water and garlic, you yes. know, and it's Nanook yeah. that knocks the vampire in there. Which, what's, oh, yeah, that's true. What's the name of that? Paul. Paul, Paul the one knocks, that goes in the tub. Yeah, Nanook knocks Paul the vampire into the tub. And, like, it's just so violent and he falls apart that it turns into, like, a shining moment. Blood starts shooting out of all the pipes Yeah, and he's, in the like, house. disintegrates into bone. Yeah. It, like, acid melts all of his skin on organs. It's pretty real. It's pretty intense. Yeah, they really don't fool around in this battle. I mean, it's something where no punches are pulled. No. You know, and, I mean, you have a great scene where Sam takes out what's the name of that vampire? Dwayne. So I, it's so funny. Like the all the other vampires have names. I don't think Dwayne is ever referred to by name. I just know because like it's in the credits or it's on IMDb. Okay, it's just I never knew their names. I knew... Marco is is Bill from Bill and Ted. Yes. Alex Winter. So I knew Marco because he gets killed first, and everybody's like, "You killed Marco." Yes. So like they say his name. I think they talk about Paul at one point and use his name, but I'm pretty sure they never use the name Dwayne in the movie. I just, yeah, I, I don't remember. I mean, yeah, Corey Haim, you know, takes out the vampire, you know, with an arrow. You know what I mean? Shoots him into the stereo, plays some tunes. There's this big explosion. Yeah, I've never seen anything like that, at, like prior to that time. I mean, you've seen some really, like, intense vampire deaths in other movies after, but I think that was, like, one of the coolest ones Yeah. at that point. They, like, really, they save the fireworks for the end, and then, you know, we have the, the battle, of course, with David, and then we have, you know, the, this final reveal that Max, the friendly video store owner, is the head vampire. And when he turns into a vampire, it is terrifying. I yeah. never saw that coming as a kid. 
because in the movie they have this whole scene where they vet him. They try to yeah. see, is he the boss? They go through, like, everything. They're, like, testing him out. Every, you know, thing that could reveal him as a vampire mm-hmm. doesn't work. And, of course, in that last scene, he explains that's because they initially invited him into their house. So, like, everything after that doesn't matter. They can't catch him anymore. No. And then you have, of course, again, another reason why I love Grandpa. Grandpa busts through the wall <laughs> of the house backwards in his truck and one of those stakes just gets max yeah, and like I mean, he blows a... up he blows up i think yeah. is he near a, a fireplace yes he 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 gets kind of impaled on this massive wooden fence yes. post in the fireplace and uh, yeah do you think there's a fire explosion or something that happens so it's yeah i mean and then you know you get grandpa's amazing <laughs> both of my lines both of my favorite lines happen in that sequence yeah. too yeah but we'll get to that later what is your <laughs> favorite scene I really enjoy when Michael is, like, in the cave the first time. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on. Yeah. Um, and I enjoy Kiefer Sutherland in this as well. hmm I like how he's barely in the movie, but he's, like, a huge part of it. Like, I mean, if you really look at it, he really doesn't have that many lines. He's Mm-mm. kind of, like, soft-spoken in a way, in a certain way. He's, like, super intense. But basically what I like is that the way they set up that scene is that the first thing that happens with Michael is that he does drugs and pot isn't going to make you hallucinate. Although, like, I don't know if Michael would know that because he seems very, like, innocent about these matters. Oh, yeah. Um, well, you really brought that up to me. Yeah, I, I didn't think about it before, but like he's chugging this bottle of wine, which looks terrible, by the way. <laughs> the thing is like crusty and disgusting. Found this under the couch. Yeah, yeah. it's like, I, oh, I found this under a pile of rubble, more like it. <laughs> Have a drink. And he just keeps like going back and just chugging out of this bottle. And like. It's blood, and blood and wine do not taste the same, so I have to, I'm forced to assume that Michael hasn't really drunk wine before. Yeah. And he doesn't understand that, like, wine doesn't taste like blood, but he just keeps drinking it. It's weird. Um, but yeah, so I don't know if he's done pot, or if this pot he thinks might have been laced with something hallucinogenic somehow, but he clearly thinks that, you know, what's happening to him in the scene is hallucination he doesn't realize that it's an enchantment but yeah like david hands him this like little takeout box of chinese food and it's supposed to be white rice and he starts eating it and as soon as he eats starts eating it david is like you're eating maggots michael (laughs) and michael like looks into this box and it's disgusting. It's like squirming, disgusting maggots in there. Yeah. Which is f- gross. It's nasty. It's really disgusting. It's I'm, super like, I'm nasty. grossed out by maggots. I mean, I guess anybody in their right mind is. This isn't me like saying something amazing and unique. <laughs> maggots are nasty. So, yeah, it's gross. He like spits it out. He like drops it on the floor. And then everybody just starts like uproariously laughing, like, oh, what's wrong, Michael? <laughs> It's just rice, you know? And then they do the same thing with, like, lo mein. That's what and, gets me. And worms. Oh. And the worms are all squirmy and gross. 
or grody, if I'm going back to my 80s terminology. Um, but yeah, so I enjoy that part. And then also, like, really notice this time that they're super trying to play up, like, this Jim Morrison, Jason Patrick thing. Big time. Because Jason Patrick kind of has a Jim Morrison haircut. And in this lair, there's, like, this huge Jim Morrison hanging on the wall. And also they had, like, a cover version of People Are Strange mm -hmm. playing at the beginning of the, the movie. So they're really trying to make you think of Jim Morrison when you think when you see Jason Patrick. And, like, even to the point where, like, in this, I think there's a cross dissolve where, like, Jason Patrick's face is, like, superimposed over the Jim Morrison wall hanging. So it's like, in case you didn't already get this, because we've been laying it on an inch thick here you go, now you really have to know. I think that's why I like the scene. There's, there's just a lot of funny things in it. And, yeah, like I just said, like, that David is, like, acting like a total edgelord. Like, <laughs> and all the guys, all of his gang are, like, supporting him. And they're all jeering all the time and stuff. And it's just, like, fun. I don't know why I think that's fun. I'm weird, but... No, I think it's fun, too. It's funny. It is. It's just, it's ridiculous. Like, it's why... maggots, Michael. Like, he lays yeah. it down. Yeah, it's so that. good. You're eating maggots, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. It's I great. Love it. It's just funny. It's that's, a great scene. I bet they I mean, had a good time I mean, that's one of my that. favorite lines. I don't think I picked that as my very favorite, but it's one of my favorites. So what, what are your favorite lines? Okay, so I, I've, got, I've got two. Okay, and it would be, you know, Grandpa's last line in the movie. After he's backed up the truck, he shot the the magic fence post stake, you know. <laughs> Which he luckily had, like, piled up in the back of his truck. Like, I know I drive around with, like, fence posts poking out the back of my car all the time. Well, we actually, we had to take it back because we thought, I always thought that Grandpa drove with the car, you know, front, you know, front-wise. So front <laughs> <laughs> You know how you drive front-wise. You know, it just drove forward with the front of the truck going through the wall of his house. But actually, yeah, he, he came in backwards. Yeah. And um, so we, we were like, okay. We, we, like, were, like, rewinding this, like, frame by frame. Like, what happened? You thought he, like, he tied stakes? I thought he had stakes tied to the front of the car. I thought yeah. that I remembered that from them. We just make up things, I guess. I, I do it, too. I just make things up to explain what I'm seeing. I like, maybe it's like a Mad Max kind of oh, residual yeah. moment. Maybe so, maybe so. But, you know, so it's like, so after that, he goes to get one of his, his root beers from his, you know, special shelf in the fridge that's marked Old Fart that nobody's <laughs> supposed to touch, you know, but him. And then he goes... The one thing about living in Santa Carla, I never could stomach all the damn vampires. <laughs> and then it's just like that's your reveal to realize, oh, Grandpa knew about this the whole time. Mm -hmm. Like, he, you never know that before. And they keep, I feel like the kids are trying to, like, protect him from knowing about it and keep him separate. But, you know, Grandpa's been in the mix all along grandpa grandpa knows the streets like you know I, I never really realized this time i never like really paid attention to the fact that like grandpa's growing like marijuana plants outside the window <laughs> i didn't know if i noticed that before either but yeah it's it's very like california hippie yeah like old hippie i mean but he's like too old to be a hippie so well and he's also then he has his visits to the widow johnson yeah yeah, like he's like, you know, still cutting up like a middle-aged man. 
the the Casanova of Santa Carla. Um, <laughs> you know, and then the other line that I love is going back to when Sam shoots Dwayne. Dwayne. I got it. Shoots Dwayne the vampire with the arrow, goes into the stereo, music comes on, he explodes. It's awesome. And then we go back to Corey Haim and he goes, Death by stereo. Like he just thinks he just did it. Yeah, he laid it down. Sadly, like there's nobody there to witness his amazing like one liner Arnold Schwarzenegger type quip. It's phenomenal though. Yeah. We're there. We're, We're there. there. Yeah. We're there. You know, but, you know, Sam would want an audience. You know, he would want an audience, so I feel bad. Well, what about you? What about you? What's your favorite line? Um, I mean, again, you're eating maggots, Michael. <laughs> has to be up there. But it's wonderful. I would also pick something that happens like quite toward the end of the movie, where um, Corey Feldman as Edgar Frog <laughs> is talking to Alan after you know they've helped to save the family, and he goes. How much do you think we should charge him for this? <laughs> like, like you know, business-minded Corey Feldman's character is, and I, I enjoy that. Five stars. Um, it's great, like, you know. And I'm sure that the later, like, sequel-type movies that they've made cash in on that whole idea of these guys as being professional um, vampire hunters, so that's pretty great. We gotta check that out. We gotta check that out. Yeah. So, I mean, what happens to Thorn? We don't know. Like, we actually rewound it and watched again to see if we could, like, trace what happened to Thorn. Yeah. But really, the last time we see him, he's getting really angry at uh, Lucy, right? He's yeah, like Diane Weiss, at, yeah. At Lucy. Um, I For like trying to, to come think, there in the uh, daytime, trying to come to the house yes. in the daytime. And she's trying to give him, like, a like a like an apology gift or a thank you gift. Yeah, but... Yeah, but Thorn like yeah, because I think um Sam freaked him out when he came over to dinner, you know, because he's like pouring the garlic on his oh, food yeah. and all that stuff. Right. So I think she's trying to apologize. Thorn actually comes out barking at her and like basically attacks her, and she like has to jump back over the fence and falls and yeah. stuff. Um, Thorn doesn't play. No, Thorn mm -hmm. is not messing around. Not he has at all. a job and he's here to do it. I like to think that you know Thorn moved on you know since max was gone um maybe got adopted by the sax player in the band i would love that and like you know like because when the head vampire dies everyone turns back to human form so maybe thorn you know turned into a good guy again that's possible maybe thorn has has a redemption arc maybe thorn is really a chihuahua Wow. And he transformed into a, a, a more scary dog because of Max. Wow. Maybe he just turns into a chihuahua and gets adopted by the sax player. Wow. That Well, the sax player, of course, you know, that is something that none of us will ever forget. Yeah. And, you know, this guy uh, is named Tim Capello from White Plains. You know, you should Google this guy. Really interesting. So... He played saxophone with Tina Turner a lot. He actually uh, played on the Thunderdome song, We Don't Need Another Hero. And what you have is, in this movie, Tim Capello comes in, you know, and he's not wearing any shirt. He's super buffed out. Yeah, he's like oily. 
He's got a slicked back kind of mullet, but it's like a kind of a weird perm. Yeah. And it's in what if I remember correctly from the articles I read about him, he said like back in the day, just having himself oiled up, that was kind of like having a shirt on. <laughs> yeah, that was his shirt. And then he said oh that gosh. he said that like he had on like Home Depot chains. Oh my god. Which I thought was That's was... actually amazing though. I'm um, just quick one here. Mm -hmm. Because I wanted to have a necklace like the chain that Duff McKagan wore mm -hmm. from Guns N' Roses and his chain was actually what Sid Vicious from Sex Pistols wore. Mm -hmm. And it was actually a dog choke chain just held together with a tiny little lock. And I did actually buy mine at the hardware store. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You were hardcore. You were, uh, no. You were hardcore, man. I mean, for where I was from, sure. Hardcore. Well, this guy, so Tim Capello, years later, you know, they did that Sergio sketch that, on Saturday Night Live. That was John Hamm, right? Yes. And so they, you know, brought back this saxophone player with no shirt on and he would just break in to a scene and everyone would love it. And when that happened, this actually was a big resurgence for Tim Capello. And he said he was getting a lot more calls and he was getting a lot more work, That's you know. Awesome. He's still keeping himself in shape, so it's awesome. I like that little mini that. story. I love that. I love that this guy's life basically revolves around that. I mean, I'm sure he's done many other things. Oh, yeah. But I'm really happy that he could be recognized for this because it's, like, super memorable. Yeah, no one would ever forget it. No. No one would ever forget it. He was really fantastic in this. Now, that brings me, you know, to, to another question. Um what what can we just talk about Laddie for a little bit? I mean, I think we all have a lot of questions about Laddie, especially this time. Like we really have been revisiting this Laddie. Mm -hmm. Laddie is like how old is he? Maybe like nine tops. Maybe like, I, I, maybe, I, maybe even, even younger. Maybe even he younger. Could be like I, I'm really terrible at knowing how old kids are. Especially now that I'm old, I'm like uh, I got nothing. Even like I, just because like we never had kids. Like I've never been around kids when they're like that age that much. Well, when I was a kid, I thought Laddie was young, and I would have been like ten or eleven. So maybe so. he was like seven or some seven or eight. Yeah. But anyway, Laddie is like a little kid. But, like, he's got, like, long hair, and he's wearing, like, a band leader jacket or, like, a... I mean, it, it doesn't look like 1987 clothing. No. And he and Star both are wearing, like, older-looking, more period-type clothing. Yeah. Like, Star looks like some fortune teller or something. Mm -hmm. And Laddie is wearing, like, I don't know, military-inspired clothing for, like, a seven-year-old. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm a little confused. Like, first of all, what's the point of Laddie? I mean, I guess they're positing that he's, like, a companion to, to Star. But, what? Like, I'm, I don't know. I don't know why they have this kid. I don't know why they've got him half-turned. Yeah. I don't know if he's supposed to be like a modern kid who just they put a Civil War jacket on or something. Is he supposed to be from back then? Is I don't he know, like, how could he have lived that long? Uh, I mean, he's a half vampire. He hasn't killed anyone. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's that's he the whole thing. He starts going crazy. Oh man, he's well. Maybe that's it. Maybe he is old, and maybe this is just like. I am, I am doing this. I'm done. Yeah, maybe he's just like, I can't handle it anymore. It's been 200 years. But they're like know? holding him back at the end. He like transforms. I mean, I did find it a little odd that like Star 
had to stay pretty, so they never did, like, the crazy vampire face on her. <laughs> I liked your point on that, that, that you know, ladies have more control. Um, I mean, I'm just trying to think of, like, what the logic could be, because, you know, obviously she's must be in a feeding frenzy kind of a situation, too. Yeah. I mean, all the guys are walking around with fangs and, like, big old fugly foreheads. <laughs> And she's just over here still, like, Jamie Gertzing it up. Yeah. With her Jamie Gertz face, not looking terrible. So I thought that was funny and insane. But, hey, whatever. Right. Obviously a choice they made. Man, so, like, what, you know, one of the other things that came up when we were talking was, you know, that we've got some literary connections here. Yeah, well, I mean... Lost Boys is a reference to Peter Pan. Like, mm -hmm. I don't really think I ever thought about that too much. No. But I found that since we've been doing the podcast, I'm, like, thinking of things in more of, like, an objective way rather than just enjoying the, the movie um, as is. But <clears throat> when I thought about it this time, I was thinking, well, why would they choose to represent these people as Peter Pan-style people? Yeah. And it did pop out more when I was thinking about it more consciously. Star is obviously like Wendy. Mm -hmm. um, Kiefer Sutherland is like Peter Pan. He wants to keep Wendy there. Um, the vampires are like Peter Pan and that they never grow old. And your point was they fly. Yeah. I mean, Tinkerbell helps Peter Pan fly, but these are vampires that fly. Um, and even down to the point of, like I said, Nana is a dog and Peter Pan is kind of like weirdly like a babysitter for the kids. And the kids, the boys are named John and Michael. And, and in this movie we have Sam and Michael. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I really see a link there um, that they're saying, you know, that these are kids that never grow up. Um, and they're kind of wild which the Lost Boys were wild in mm -hmm. Peter Pan. And then we have, you know, it's this is like kind of like very surface, but we had Lucy and Dracula, and that yes. was Diane Weiss's name, yes. you know, that we had. And then, you know, the the kind of obvious uh, Dracula connections that, you know, everybody sees. Um, well, like you said, Van Helsing, the Frog Brothers are kind of like dual Van Helsings. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you even make a vampire movie without referencing Dracula, really? I don't think so. I don't think so, either. I think it would be... It's a, too seminal. We didn't have a Renfield, though. It's we too didn't have genre a, defining. No Renfield that I could think of. Renfield is like a half vampire, right? Oh. Like, he wasn't full. He was, like, eating animal blood or right. bug blood. He was eating maggots. <laughs> Just maggots, Michael. <laughs> Well, it's, I don't know. I don't know if we had one, but in a way, maybe that's what's going on with Michael. Like or maybe Laddie. Oh, God. <laughs> well, Not Laddie. Well, this just... So somebody needs to save Laddie. Someone was, needs to help Laddie I out. I was really concerned about Laddie. We have a Laddie fund if everyone <laughs> wants to pitch in. Help out Laddie. Go fund Laddie. Go fund Laddie, please. So, I mean, we also have to think about here just about, in general, just about vampire movies yeah you know we can we can see um you know vampire movies vampire tv shows throughout the years you know we see like Anne rice we see you know interview with the vampire you know we had true blood we had buffy we had once bitten yeah i was a huge buffy person I, I, not until way later in life but 
my first podcast experience actually was um, that I did an episode of Hellmouthy um, with the Nerdist School. Um, that was a great episode. About when they were doing a Buffy, basically they were doing a Buffy rewatch. Because I think that show is great. And it's, I, I feel like it was very much has some influence from the Lost Boys. Because something that you brought up was that, you know, we have like these rock and roll kind of vampires. Yeah. Um, and Spike and Buffy, who's my favorite character probably, um, besides Buffy, is like Billy Idol style. And like Kiefer Sutherland has a bit of a Billy Idol kind of a moment going on too absolutely yeah and i think yeah i think that you have like that that kind of rock and roll punk rock kind of vampire thing going on there is this your most watched vampire movie lost boys do you think i would say yes because it's one that you know again i when i watch it on pay-per-view every two hours you know <laughs> as, as a youth that that got me a good head start and I always watched it with friends. This was always something that everybody always seemed to agree on for a Halloween movie. Everybody's yeah. like, all right, Lost Boys. So, yeah, I, I feel or that... even, like, other times of year. Like, I feel like I watched this... I know we picked it for a Halloween episode because it's, you know, thematically appropriate. But I feel like I've watched this all the time during the year. At least once a year, I feel that this is going to get played. Yeah. At least once a year. Um, yeah, I'm guessing I've probably watched this more than anything else as well, um, as far as vampire movies. Probably Bram Stoker's Dracula with the Gary Oldman one mm-hmm. might be given a little bit of a run for the money. Yeah, I've watched that quite a bit as well. But I think it still probably edges it out. What about Once Bitten, though? You love Once Bitten. Once Bitten I do love, but I haven't the seen it. The theme song of that movie. Oh my god. Alright, if we're talking the theme song of Once Bitten... <laughs> That trumps You've all. You've heard that like 700 times like in a row. <laughs> I, you know, just sang that for years because I, I couldn't find it anywhere. And now we have the wonderful internet. Yeah, My it... God, I sound like I'm a thousand years <laughs> old. There's this thing called the internet and it's so nice. Well, I mean, it was great for you because you got to listen to that song, which is a tremendous song. Amazing. It has like no right to be that good. Yeah, well, it's that I I have wonderful memories of that movie. I saw that with my parents at at the movie theater, and I loved it. And I actually I bought that Blu-ray as a gift to myself after I worked on that show, Kidding, which its star was Jim Carrey. Yeah, so that was was my little gift. Feeding into the Jim Carrey machine. You bet. That's good. Yeah. I mean, did you notice anything since you've seen it so many times? Did you notice anything different this time when you watched it? I'd say the biggest thing for me that was different is I, I really thought about Michael going and hanging out with this this vampire group, and it just seemed tremendously, tremendously awful. Like, I wouldn't have done any of it. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, the peer pressure was very real. Yeah. But, but in this, I, yeah, I can see what you mean. I think that's probably from us being older. It is, because, you know, when you were younger, it was like you wanted to be embroiled in all this drama and all this wild stuff and woo. And now that I'm older, it's just like I like things to be simple. Yeah, you, you, know know I mean? you don't need to go chasing after these weirdos. No. Yeah, no, I had kind of a similar response. Um like, I feel like when we were younger, like, vampires are cool. It's like, oh, you'd live forever. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And, 
can't be hurt and you're super powerful. But now, like, especially in this movie, um, it feels like they're pretty pathetic in a certain way. And I don't mean, like, they're terrible. I mean, like, pathos. Um, pathetic. They don't have good lives, really. They live in a junkie cave. Yeah. <laughs> they, like, are, you know, they don't seem to be doing anything except terrorizing tourists on the boardwalk right of this kind of run down beach town and they aren't going to get to grow up they're not going to get to live their own lives and pursue anything that they're personally interested in they're just stuck and they're serving this head vampire and it's not glamorous no. or fun in the least. Like Oscar the Grouch has a better life. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he lives in a trash can. Yeah. So, and also I do have to say, I noticed a lot more about how this movie had highly sexualized, eroticized kind of shots mm-hmm. in it. Especially related to Jason Patrick's character, Michael. Like, they're just hovering around his mouth all the time and stuff like this. <laughs> and, I mean, I always found it a little ironic that this was, like, the first Corey Haim, Corey Feldman movie. So, all the little girls with the Tiger Beat magazine were, like, coming out of this movie with, like, a crush on the Corys. And I was like, but Jason Patrick is right there. Because <laughs> um, he's, like, you know, he is kind of like if a model... A male model's DNA was mixed with Jim Morrison's, like, this is who you would end up with. Which is funny, since we just discovered that his grandpa in real life is Jackie Gleason. That's amazing. You know, the tremendously sexy Jackie Gleason. (laughs) Hot, hot, hot. Um, But, you know, the whole thing was, and I did read some trivia on this too, I think that was like Joel Schumacher's intention was to make this, like, sexually charged. And um, I don't think I really considered that when I was a kid. Part of me, part of that's just because that's just not me. But another part of it is, like, I just, I'm looking at shots now, and I'm just looking at how they're treating the subject. Yeah. And it's, I can see probably why this would have been popular with teen girls. Mm. Because they're, like, lingering a lot on guys that's funny and it's funny because usually it's women right usually women are the sex object of the movie Mm -hmm. but i feel like for sure in this it's much more like the men and not just jason patrick but like to some extent Kiefer sutherland um to some extent this tim capello guy to some extent grandpa grandpa obviously just bringing the heat (laughs) (laughs) nobody can stop grandpa Yep, Max. I I do think that was that was super weird when we were watching it this time. Sure. Um, Because like these are supposed to be teenagers, which is kind of gross. But teenagers are watching this movie, Um, and I think that was a big industry back then. Was like the teen boy heartthrobs. Well, you brought me back because I remembered, you know, like New Kids on the Block, you know, and there would be all the magazines coming in. And, you know, I just remember all the guys would just look at each other, like, confused. We're like, well, what are, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're Corey Haim's character in this, you just have a poster of Rob Lowe <laughs> on the closet. I'm like, what? Yeah. He's got a poster of Molly Ringwald and Rob Lowe. I'm like, 
very strange choices made with the set dressing. And I then... think it said that it was because the last movie that uh, the the director worked on had Rob Lowe. Ah, uh, well, I maybe. think that was I think that was it. So he just was like plugging his other movie. Yeah, with Rob Lowe in it. Yeah. Well, Rob Lowe was like a major like teen heartthrob slash teen cool actor of the time like the brat pack well and again though it's just with the highly sexualized nature yeah that was like a very sexualized poster yeah and i i you know and again i i'm pretty dense i mean yeah so it was it was the 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 film was marketed to women yeah i think for sure i mean because you know not that like i mean maybe sam is interested in rob Lowe. like there's yeah. really no exploration of that in the movie we Mm-mm. don't know I doubt if that would have been the case just because of the time period um, that, we, that the movie was made in. You never know. My friend had like a major Kiefer Sutherland thing, which is maybe what initiated me watching this movie in the first place. Because um, she was into like the blonde bad boy type. Mm. So Kiefer Sutherland had been up her alley. I've always been more of a large face, dark curly hair kind of a person. I'm in luck. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Jason Patrick would have been, like, attractive to me when I was a kid, maybe. Um, but, yeah, it's it's funny. I guess, you know, girls, like, teen girls are big consumers at that time, right? They're buying these magazines. They're going to concerts and doing, like, you know, Beatlemania-style reactions to things like New Kids on the Block. So, marketing-wise, maybe that was their point was to try to get the teen girl market that's like that's amazing i never like and seriously somehow never would have caught it Corey's came out of the darkness to nab it wow out of the hands of Kiefer sutherland and jason patrick man we've really like <laughs> dug deep tonight tim capello yeah tim capello know. yeah these are weird points i don't even know what i'm saying about that but yeah yeah that's that's you know we're digging deep we are we are as promised I mean, we've really gone on and on. I don't know if I thought that we had this much to say about it, but it just shows you that even a movie that you would think is like this simple vampire movie yeah, actually has a lot, like teenage vampire movie, has a lot to say about it. And it goes pretty deep. So to wrap up, what comfort food is the uh, analog to this movie for you? I'd say pepperoni pizza. Okay. Because I could really see myself eating pepperoni pizza and watching it. That was always the way for me when I was younger. Like Pizza Hut delivery or Ooh. your town pizza? My town pizza. I would go okay. with I would go with Shrewsbury Pizzeria. Um, it could be cheese. It could have been pepperoni. Those were really the two that I would do. I didn't delivery. go. Delivery. No, it was always pickup with Shrewsbury. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So pickup pepperoni from Shrewsbury Pizza. Yes. Okay. I would have to say maggots, Michael. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. That's not a comfort food. You know, I was tempted to say steak. Because huh. there's a pun there. Oh, my God. I didn't catch it. <laughs> You're a genius. You're a genius. Oh, such a dad joke. Sorry, everyone. It was rock uh, solid. But no, I do think that, like, you know, going back to the maggots uh, and the worms, I would have to go with 
you know, some little white boxes of takeout Chinese food filled with uh, veggie lo mein. I love Ooh. veggie lo mein. Okay. So that would be um, my, my comfort food. I probably would not eat it during the earthworm scene. No. Because I got, I got better things to do with my life than that. <laughs> I'm going to stay away from the white rice intensely. So. <laughs> okay. Um, anything else that you want to say about it? I feel I have said it all. Yeah. All right. Well, everyone, thank you for sticking with us yes. uh, to listen to all of our many, many thoughts on The Lost Boys. Um, we were happy to have you. And I uh, hope that uh, you'll jump on Apple or uh, Google, if those are your podcast platforms, and give us a follow and even a review if you would like. Um, next week, we will be back with you to say goodbye to another season of baseball by watching a movie without which Ted Lasso could not exist. Major League, one of my favorites, uh, introduced to me, I think, by my stepbrother. So we'll talk about that uh, next, next Friday. Thanks for joining us. Have a wonderful rest of your uh, week. Enjoy your Halloween. Hope you get lots and lots of treats. Lots of peanut butter cups. Lots of full bars. Yes. Uh, and and then go home and eat them up and watch some scary movies. And of course, as always, stay comfy. Stay comfy, everybody. Happy Halloween. <laughs>